This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Carol Good, www.soundsgood.com. The Yosemite by John Muir. Chapter 1, Part B. The First View, The Bridal Veil. From the margin of these glorious forests, the first general view of the valley used to be gained, a revelation in landscape affairs that enriches one's life forever. Entering the valley, gazing overwhelmed with the multitude of grand objects about us, perhaps the first to fix our attention will be the Bridal Veil, a beautiful waterfall on our right. Its brow, where it first leaps free from the cliff, is about nine hundred feet above us, and as it sways and swings in the wind, clad in gauzy, sun-sifted spray, half falling, half floating, it seems infinitely gentle and fine, but the hymns it sings tells the solemn, fateful power hidden beneath its soft clothing. The bridal veil shoots free from the upper edge of the cliff by the velocity the stream has acquired in descending a long slope above the head of the fall. Looking from the top of the rock avalanche talus on the west side, about one hundred feet above the foot of the fall, the under surface of the water arch is seen to be finely grooved and striated, and the sky is seen through the arch between rock and water, making a novel and beautiful effect. Under ordinary weather conditions, the fall strikes on flat-topped slabs, forming a kind of ledge about two-thirds of the way down from the top, and as the fall sways back and forth with the great variety of motions among these flat-topped pillars, kissing and plashing notes as well as thunder-like detonations are produced, like those of the Yosemite Fall, though on a smaller scale. The rainbows of the veil, or rather the spray and foam bows, are superb, because the waters are dashed among angular blocks of granite at the foot, producing abundance of spray of the best quality for iris effects, and also for a luxuriant growth of grass and maidenhair on the side of the talus, which lower down is planted with oak, laurel, and willows. General Features of the Valley on the other side of the valley, almost immediately opposite the bridal veil, there is another fine fall, considerably wider than the veil when the snow is melting fast, and more than one thousand feet in height, measured from the brow of the cliff, where it first springs out into the air, to the head of the rocky talus on which it strikes and is broken up into rugged cascades. It is called the Ribbon Fall, or Virgin's Tears. During the spring floods it is a magnificent object, but the suffocating blasts of spray that fill the recess in the wall which it occupies prevent a near approach. In autumn, however, when its feeble current falls in a shower, it may then pass for tears, with the sentimental onlooker fresh from a visit to the bridal veil. Just beyond this glorious flood, the El Capitan Rock, regarded by many as the most sublime feature of the valley, is seen through the pine groves, standing forward beyond the general line of the wall, in most imposing grandeur, a type of permanence. 
It is 3,300 feet high, a plain, severely simple, glacier-sculpted face of granite, the end of one of the most compact and enduring of the mountain ridges, unrivaled in height and breadth and flawless strength. Across the valley from here, next to the Bridal Veil, are the picturesque Cathedral Rocks, nearly 2,700 feet high, making a noble display of fine yet massive sculpture. They are closely related to El Capitan, having been eroded from the same mountain ridge by the great Yosemite Glacier when the valley was in the process of formation. Next to the Cathedral Rocks on the south side towers the Sentinel Rock to a height of more than 3,000 feet, a telling monument of the glacial period. Almost immediately opposite the Sentinel are the Three Brothers, an immense mountain mass with three gables fronting the valley, one above another, the topmost gable nearly 4,000 feet high. They were named for three brothers, sons of old Tanaya, the Yosemite chief, captured here during the Indian War, at the time of the discovery of the valley in 1852. Sauntering up the valley through meadow and grove in the company of these majestic rocks which seem to follow us as we advance, gazing, admiring, looking for new wonders ahead, where all about us is so wonderful, the thunder of the Yosemite Fall is heard. And when we arrive in front of the Sentinel Rock, it is revealed in all its glory, from base to summit, half a mile in height, and seeming to spring out into the valley sunshine direct from the sky. But even this fall, perhaps the most wonderful of its kind in the world, cannot at first hold our attention, for now the wide upper portion of the valley is displayed to view, with a finely modeled north dome, the Royal Arches, and Washington Column on our left, Glacier Point, with its massive magnificent sculpture on the right, and in the middle, directly in front, looms Tisiak, or Half Dome, the most beautiful and most sublime of all the wonderful Yosemite rocks, rising in serene majesty from flowery groves and meadows to a height of 4,750 feet. The Upper Canyons here the valley divides into three branches, the Tenaya, Nevada, and Illilouette canyons, extending back into the mountains of the High Sierra, with scenery every way worthy the relation they bear to Yosemite. In the south branch, a mile or two from the main valley, is the Illilouette Fall, 600 feet high, one of the most beautiful of all the Yosemite choir but to most people inaccessible as yet on account of its rough, steep, boulder-choked canyon. Its principal fountains of ice and snow lie in the beautiful and interesting mountains of the Merced group, while its broad, open basin between its fountain, mountains, and canyon is noted for the beauty of its lakes and forests and magnificent moraines. Returning to the valley and going up the north branch of Tenaya Canyon, we pass between the North Dome and Half Dome, and in less than an hour come to Mirror Lake, the Dome Cascade, and Tenaya Fall. Beyond the fall, on the north side of the canyon, is the sublime El Capitan-like rock called Mount Watkins. On the south, the vast granite wave of clouds rest, a mile in height, 
and between them the fine Tanaya cascade, with silvery plumes outspread on smooth glacier-polished folds of granite, making a vertical descent in all of about seven hundred feet. Just beyond the dome cascades, on the shoulder of Mount Watkins, there is an old trail once used by Indians on their way across the range to Mono, but in the canyon above this point there is no trail of any sort. Between Mount Watkins and Cloud's Rest, the canyon is accessible only to mountaineers, and it is so dangerous that I hesitate to advise even good climbers, anxious to test their nerve and skill, to attempt to pass through it. Beyond the Cascades, no great difficulty will be encountered. A succession of charming lily gardens and meadows occurs in filled-up lake basins among the rock waves in the bottom of the canyon, and everywhere the surface of the granite has a smooth, wiped appearance, and in many places reflects the sunbeams like glass, a phenomenon due to glacial action, the canyon having been the channel of one of the main tributaries of the ancient Yosemite Glacier. About ten miles above the valley we come to the beautiful Tanaya Lake, and here the canyon terminates. A mile or two above the lake stands the grand Sierra Cathedral, a building of one stone, sewn from the living rock, with sides, roof, gable, spire, and ornamental pinnacles, fashioned and finished symmetrically like a work of art, and set on a well-graded plateau, about nine thousand feet high as if nature, in making so fine a building, had also been careful that it should be finely seen. From every direction its peculiar form and graceful majestic beauty of expression never fail to charm. Its height, from its base to the ridge of the roof, is about 2,500 feet, and among the pinnacles that adorn the front, grand views may be gained of the upper basins of the Merced and Tuolumne rivers. Passing the cathedral, we descend into the delightful, spacious Tuolumne Valley, from which excursions may be made to Mounts Dana, Lyle, Ritter, Conness, and Mono Lake, and to the many curious peaks that rise above the meadows on the south, and to the big Tuolumne Canyon, with its glorious abundance of rock and falling, gliding, tossing water. For all these, the beautiful meadows near the Soda Springs form a delightful center. Natural Features Near the Valley Returning now to Yosemite and ascending the middle or Nevada branch of the valley, occupied by the main Merced River, we come within a few miles to the Vernal and Nevada Falls, 400 and 600 feet high, pouring their white, rejoicing waters into the midst of the most novel and sublime rock scenery to be found in all the world. Tracing the river beyond the head of the Nevada Fall, we are led into the Little Yosemite, a valley like the Great Yosemite in form, sculpture, and vegetation. It is about three miles long, with walls 1,500 to 2,000 feet high, cascades coming over them, and ever flowing through the meadows and groves at the level bottom in tranquil, richly embowered reaches. Beyond this little Yosemite in the main canyon, there are three other little Yosemites, the highest situated a few miles below the base of Mount Lyle, at an elevation of about 7,800 feet above the sea. To describe these, with all their wealth of Yosemite furniture and the wilderness of lofty peaks above them, 
the home of the avalanche and the treasury of the fountain snow, would take us far beyond the bounds of a single book. Nor can we here consider the formation of these mountain landscapes, how the crystal rock were brought to light by glaciers made up of crystal snow, making beauty whose influence is so mysterious on everyone who sees it. Of the small glacier lakes so characteristic of these upper regions, there are no fewer than sixty-seven in the basin of the main middle branch, besides countless smaller pools. In the basin of the Illilouette, there are sixteen. In the Tenaya Basin and its branches, thirteen. In the Yosemite Creek Basin, fourteen. And in the Pohono or Bridal Vale, one making a grand total of one hundred and eleven lakes, whose waters come to sing at Yosemite. So glorious is the background of the great valley, so harmonious its relations to its wide-spreading fountains. The same harmony prevails in all the other features of the adjacent landscapes. Climbing out of the valley by the subordinate canyons, we find the ground rising from the brinks of the walls. On the south side, to the fountains of the Bridal Veil Creek, the basin of which is noted for the beauty of its meadows and its superb forests of silver fir. On the north side, through the basins of the Yosemite Creek, to the dividing ridge along the Tuolumne Canyon and the fountains of the Hoffman Range. Down the Yosemite Creek in general views, the Yosemite Creek Basin seems to be paved with domes and smooth, whale-back masses of granite in every stage of development, some showing only their crowns, others rising high and free above the girdling forests, singly or in groups. Others are developed only on one side, forming bold, outstanding bosses, usually well-fringed with shrubs and trees, and presenting the polished surfaces given them by the glacier that brought them into relief. On the upper portion of the basin, broad moraine beds have been deposited, and on these, fine, thrifty forests are growing. Lakes and meadows and small spongy bogs may be found hiding here and there in the woods or back in the fountain recesses of Mount Hoffman, while a thousand gardens are planted along the banks of the streams. All the wide, fan-shaped upper portion of the basin is covered with a network of small rills that go cheerily on their way to their grand fall in the valley, now flowing on smooth pavements in sheets thin as glass now diving under willows and laving their red roots, oozing through green, plushy bogs, plashing over small falls and dancing down slanting cascades, calming again, gliding through patches of smooth glacier meadows with a sod of alpine agrostis mixed with blue and white violets and daisies, breaking, tossing among rough boulders and fallen trees, resting in calm pools, flowing together until all united they go to their fate with stately, tranquil gestures like a full-grown river. At the crossing of the Mono Trail, about two miles above the head of Yosemite Fall, the stream is nearly forty feet wide, and when the snow is melting rapidly in the spring, it is about four feet deep, with a current of two and a half miles an hour. This is about the volume of the water that forms the fall in May and June, when there had been much snow the preceding winter, but it varies greatly from month to month. The snow rapidly vanishes from the open portion of the basin, which faces southward, 
and only a few of the tributaries reach back to perennial snow and ice fountains in the shadowy amphitheaters on the precipitous north slopes of Mount Hoffman. The total descent made by the stream from its highest sources to its confluence with the Merced in the valley is about 6,000 feet, while the distance is only about 10 miles, an average fall of 600 feet per mile. The last mile of its course lies between the sides of sunken domes and swelling folds of the granite that are clustered and pressed together like a mass of bossy cumulus clouds. Through this shining way, Yosemite Creek goes to its fate, swaying and swirling with easy, graceful gestures and singing the last of its mountain songs before it reaches the dizzy edge of Yosemite to fall 2,600 feet into another world, where climate, vegetation, and inhabitants all are different. Emerging from this last canyon, the stream glides in flat, lace-like folds down a smooth incline into a small pool where it seems to rest and compose itself before taking the grand plunge. Then, calmly, as if leaving a lake, it slips over the polished lip of the pool down another incline and out over the brow of the precipice in a magnificent curve thick sown with rainbow spray. End of section two.